together. Come, let us worship and bow down. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our Maker. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our Maker. For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, and the sheep of His hand, just the sheep of His hand. Come, let us worship. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our Maker. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our Maker. him and give him all the glory and I love this next song in moments like these Lord there's nothing else I want to do than just sing out a love song singing I love you Lord
serve a good God, don't we? We're going to close with this. God is so good. He's so good to me.
You'll have a little time after the meeting ends at 12.30 until 2 o'clock when we have our baptism ceremony. So please come. We have 13 people to be baptized at 2 o'clock, and it's going to be a fantastic time. So we look forward to it. Thank you.
Well, good morning. Trust you're having a good weekend. It sounds like you're going to have a good afternoon after yours truly finishes, and I'll be finishing on time today so you can get a chance to uh, get home, get some food, and change clothes and get back. I was at a garage sale yesterday, which is our sixth, I think, in the last two years, and I've determined it is the last garage sale. <laughs> if I don't see another garage sale on this side of eternity, I don't think there'll be any in heaven, but uh, I'm, I am done. I'm just done. I'm negotiating with people for something you're selling for 50 cents, they want a quarter, you know, and, but um, it's kind of a sad collection. It was a combination of my mother's, my mother-in-law's, and uh, my uh, brother-in-law's, who just got married, so it was her, his wife's things, and so it was a three-fold garage sale, so we had three different places where people had to pay, so it was a little bit confusing, but you just realize over the course of the years how much we collect, you know, and... Uh, I don't know if there's any pack rats among us, but um, I am not, and so there's have to just deal very carefully with my wife as far as what stuff I think needs to go and what needs to stay. <laughs> I'm sure some of you can relate to that, but uh, anyway, that was yesterday, and so I'm glad that Sunday's arrived. <laughs> if you could turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 4, I, when I spoke in May, we spoke on... Um, I spoke on Jesus being our anchor and kind of carried along the, the theme of just the difficulties and, and trials of life and how it's so important to have Jesus as anchor. And in a way, I'm kind of going on that same theme again today, but I'm going to be concluding on it. Don't want to always be a, talking about the difficulties of life um, and storms of life. There's other things to cover as well, but this is taking it from one other angle today. And it's, uh, we're going to be looking at weathering life storms. I was researching my times I've spoken. It seems like I remember this message, but it must be pre when it was on the internet. So it must have been back in the late 90s. So if some of you remember these points, and you've got awesome memories, because <laughs> I can't remember. But it's a new message that God put on my heart. And I was actually talking to Adel and the brothers about it over lunch um, a couple months ago, I guess now. Mark chapter 4, verse 35 to 41, this very familiar story about storms. And weather is one of my favorite subjects. And so, if not careful, I could really go on a tangent here and start talking about weather, but I know we're here to talk about the Word of God and what's in it, but it's interesting how much weather is in Scripture. I remember when I was uh, in Napa, I hope I haven't told the story before, but Cindy and I were at a bed and breakfast, and because of my interest in in weather, I happened to hear a conversation going on in the table just in front of us from these folks from, from back east who wanted to know what the weather was going to be like for the day. And of course, if you're from these parts, you know that you get the fog in the morning in the summer and it burns back to the ocean and it's our summer fog. But it, to the person who's not familiar with it, it looks like it's going to be cloudy and probably rainy all day. But it, we know it burns back. It's often uh, the case, unless you live in Daly City or you know Pacifica or something like that. And then you know what summer's like. Um, and so they were asking the, the innkeeper about what the weather was going to be. And I immediately kind of chirped in, probably interrupted Cindy in, uh, in a conversation and said, you know, I can, I, I can tell you. And then I said, I'm a... And the, the phrasing got all mixed up, which sometimes I do. Uh, thankfully, I don't do that in 911 transposing addresses. 
and you know, getting everything all tongue-tied, but I cannot sometimes get the cliches quite right. There's just something not firing completely right up in the brain. And some of these um, different phrases, like pat on the shoulder versus pat on the back, and I say the wrong things like that. But I said to this couple, there were two couples in front, and I said, um, I'm a, I go, I can tell you what the weather's gonna be. And then what slipped out was I said, I'm a buff amateur meteorologist. <laughs> And Cindy looked at me like, something, you didn't say something right there. And I said it, and they kind of looked at me sort of a little bit with a strange expression. And then I said, what did I say? And she said, I think you might just say you're an amateur meteorology buff. But I had it all. So you can think of me as a buff amateur meteorologist. <laughs> Or you can think of me as a meteorology or an amateur meteorologist buff, whichever one you prefer. But you know, when you think about the weather, just before we read this passage in, in Mark chapter 4, it is a subject that a lot of folks over the last few months have been talking about, isn't it? Matter of fact, the calendar year for the weather for recording rainfall is July 1st to June 30th. That's how it works in the calendar year versus, you know, January 1st to December 31st. And it's been a pretty wild year for weather even in these parts. And of course now we're blessed where we live, but so much of the nation and back east is suffering with this unprecedented heat wave um, where people are, are dying. And uh, you know, you just listen to what they're having to do for cattle and just the, the circumstances are really severe when we can't quite appreciate it in these parts. I mean, it gets hot, but we know the air conditioner is coming back on in a few days from the ocean. But then, of course, we had people, severe snowstorms. And then over the spring, just a few months ago, there was all of these horrific tornadoes that were breaking out in the Midwest and Southeast and even in the Northeast. And there was people that were losing their lives. And it was a question that I was being asked, you know, no, imagine that. But I'm sure maybe you've even been asked is what's going on with the weather? And in this passage of scripture, what we're going to see, and you're probably familiar with it, is, is that Jesus and the disciples, they encounter a very significant storm. It's a, it's a super duper storm at that, a mega one. And as we read this story, what we can take from it is not so much maybe a physical weather storm that we might be going through this coming season or maybe recently but more the practical applications of how we can take this storm that was a physical one at that and apply it to the different storms and challenges that happened in our lives. The different things that you like, if you think of what are those storms, and I know I've touched on these things in the past, but it's those things that cause for you this morning anxiety. Maybe you're anxious this morning and you're not at peace about something that's going on in your life. Something has come Maybe even since I was last here in May, that wasn't the case, but it's here now. And it's something that you feel some distress over. Of course, there's the ongoing issue for a number of us, although God is providing for others this issue of employment and situations that are going on there where people are, are still, in many cases, struggling financially. I've become aware in the last few weeks uh, from very dear people who are going through some marriage uh, struggles. To be honest with you, I've been a believer 35 years. I've been married 30 years. Uh, nothing uh, 
particularly surprises me anymore in the sense of the struggles that uh, we go through or the things that might be happening. Um, but yet I know there's a God who's able and who's able to, to help us and, and deliver us and be our source of comfort and our source of strength in these times. And he wants marriages that are in harmony, where there's love in the home and where Christ is, is honored and welcomed. And children are watching parents who are, are living this Christian walk in, before their eyes. And this is God's desires for us. But it's these kinds of storms that, she, that are very real, especially when they're in the area of relationships with children. Or in some cases, children have parents who are struggling. And of course, as I've touched on, and I think of the loss of loved ones, which of course, just hearing about it again today, it's a reminder, we're, we're all going through that. Uh, and it comes back sometimes, those losses of our loved ones, and it hits us out of nowhere. Just talking to a man on Thursday whose wife had a miscarriage. And um, tough, you know, when, you, when you're listening to that kind of story and you're just aching for this couple who so desperately want to have children. And so you think, you know, where, what, what's going on? You know, what, what, what was going on here? In this passage of scripture, it says in Mark chapter 4, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Just as a way of uh, introduction before we get launched in and bite into this text and, and uh, get some food from it. You know, when you think about this overall subject of the weather, one thing in the first point that just as a reminder to us whether it's heat waves or snowstorms or, or whatever. I was just talking to a friend actually this week who was talking about how he was delayed in Colorado for four hours because there was actual damage to the aircraft from the hail storms. I mean, you think that's, that's not pea size. I mean, that was golf ball size hail. But you, the thing you think about as I kind of launch onto these stories as I read them, and I'm reminded of, and it's true in this passage, and it's true as a whole, is that God is in charge of the weather. God's in charge. There are over, and I was delighted to read this, 1,400 references in the scriptures to weather. And so, you know, God is interested in a subject that I have a, a passion about as well. And he should be because he's the one who's in charge of it. And just a couple of verses that touch on this. Jeremiah 14, 22. He says, Do any of the worthless idols of the nations bring rain? Do the skies themselves send down showers? No, it is you, Lord our God. Therefore, our hope is in you, for you are the one who does all this. Jeremiah 10, 13. When he thunders, the waters and the heavens roar. He makes clouds rise from the ends of the earth. He sends lightning with the rain and brings out the wind from his storehouses. 
Another passage of scripture that's interesting and it probably needs more explanation, but it's just as a reference to it. Job 37 verses 3 and 6 and then following 10 and thir to 13. He unleashes his lightning beneath the whole heaven and sends it to the ends of the earth. He says to the snow, fall on the earth and to the rain shower, be a mighty downpour. The breath of God produces ice and the broad waters become frozen. He loads the clouds with moisture. He scatters his lightning through him, through them. At his direction, they swirl around over the face of the whole earth to do whatever he commands them. He brings the clouds to punish people or to water his earth and show his love. He goes also on to say, I also withheld rain from you when the harvest was still three months away. I sent rain on one town, but withheld it from another. One field had rain. Another had none and dried up. And you know, that's just three passages of scripture, but what you start to realize as you, as you listen to those verses, and you can do research the other 1,397 references in your spare time this week, is interestingly enough is that God takes total responsibility for the weather. The good, which, which someone perceives to be good, and even the bad. And this is what's difficult is because we maybe only want to say that God is only responsible for the blue skies and the sunny, warm weather that's mid-70s. And yet God is saying that for his purposes, which you and I may not have a really a full clue of what those are on this side of, of heaven, he's doing this and he's responsible for it. Now I want to remind you of something, and, and I hope I'm not breaking this news to, for the first time to some of you, but there is no... Mother Nature. I, I, know, I know we hear her referred to so much, and that's the politically correct thing to say and to hear. I, I hear it all the time, and I sort of get a cringe when I hear it because that's who people want to blame or give responsibility to. It's Mother Nature, which I haven't really ever heard fully a description of her. Uh, who she is or what she's like or where she's from or, or whatever. But somebody, and I, this would be a good thing to probably figure out as well, is somebody created Mother Nature. I suspect in part because then God isn't involved in the process. It's kind of a way that what happens even with Easter and with Christmas. Let's make more reference to the Easter Bunny. Let's make more reference to Santa Claus. Let's make more reference to the tooth fairy or whatever else, but not, not God. And so we have this person or thing that people who do not know Christ often say, but it's not true. You will not find Mother Nature in the Bible. And the thing that we need to be careful about on that is, is when this starts kind of getting into our thinking is, is that we can sometimes be like the deists, and they were people who believed that God created the universe, but then he kind of just walked away from the affairs of, of what was going on on the earth. And the furthest could be true. That is not at all true. God is very much involved in the affairs that are happening in our lives today. Even though it may look very chaotic to us. Even though it, to us it looks like it's just, if you could just take a paintbrush and you could close your eyes and just start to, paint something and you, and you want some kind of sense of this is an order and there's something here you're trying to, to say this is what this is 
other than some abstract art. God is going about um, our, our lives, and he's doing a wonderful work, and he's painting this picture. Although it's chaotic at times for us, because it's producing a storm, if you like, at times that he allows to occur in our lives. And so you see that here in Mark chapter 4, verse 35. And it's the second point, that God is in control of the weather in our lives. Just as much as he's in control and uses different weather patterns all across the world and highs and lows and different ways trade winds work, he's in charge or in control of the weather in our lives. Notice in verse 35 in this passage, it is Jesus who initiates the journey. He tells them, let's go over to the other side. Let's go on this boat ride. It wasn't the disciples who said to him, we want to go. He said, let's go. The Hebrew word began, uh, the Hebrew day began at 6 p.m. So that day when evening came, which was at 1800 hours, if you like military time, or 6 p.m. And when he says, let us go over to, literally what that is saying in the, in the Greek is it means we are going to have to pass through something. They were about to pass through something. They didn't know it at the time. They'd been on this, this trip as fishermen loads of times without any probably significant or serious storm like this. And yet it's coming in this occasion in the gospel account. What I like about that as I, as I think this through about our God who knows all and who's wise and knows every detail of what's going on in your life and mine is, is that he is totally aware when those crisis moments are going to hit. It's not like in a 30 minutes from now or an hour from now or, or next week or next year, if something happens, he's going to go, man, I didn't see that coming. That, I didn't sense that. I've said that so many times in the last few months. Wow, I didn't see that. I didn't, somebody's just leaving our department and, uh, who I've worked with for a few years and I just heard they're leaving and I was like, wow, I didn't see that coming. Jesus is never caught off guard by what's going on. He knows every single detail of your lives, past, present, and even future. Now that ought to give us some sense of comfort because I don't want God, and it would trouble me if I thought our God didn't know what was going on and I had to somehow kind of tell him and sort of brief him and, and enlighten him as to the situation. He knows. Matter of fact, it was Adel, I think, who said, or did say in one of the messages when he gave on this, he said, you know what, when Jesus said it's time to set sail, another point on this is it's time to cut the rope. It's time to go. You're, there's an adventure going here. It might be safe to stay on the shore, but then what would be learned in that lesson? And God says, you know, us going over to the other side or through something here is going to be for your benefit, and I'm going to show my power and my strength in it. But naturally, we want to ask God, and, and when something like this happens, when he initiates this kind of a journey, we want to say, why? Why do you allow these kind of things to happen in our lives? I think I've shared it before. When Cindy's father was, just had his heart attack and was being wheeled out of the house into the ambulance, his last questions that we have, the last question we ever heard him say before he passed away was, why me? And that is a phrase that people are asking, and we may be silently asking or, or asking out loud. 
maybe in a respectful way, but why? It's one of those difficult questions. It depends a lot on the motives on why we ask it, and it really doesn't determine the fact that because we ask it, are we going to get the answer? I was listening to the story of what took place in Norway over the last couple of days in Oslo. That you have a man that is so deranged that he buys six tons of explosives in May and uses it to bomb their downtown area and then goes on a, and disguises himself as a police officer and, and shoots approximately 85 teenagers or young adults. And you can be sure this is something for us to be tuned into this coming week, that there may be people that are in our lives, in our jobs, or whatever, that are going to be asking that question. Why? Why would, why would God allow that? And you're going to have to think through, if you know the Lord, what's, what's your answer to that? You, you want to have some answer, rather than just saying, I don't know. I mean, maybe we don't fully know, but Genesis says, well, not the judge of the earth do right about evil in the world, and what's God, what's God doing? They're difficult questions. And people who are in pain are asking, where is, is God? And the question is, if he is good and compassionate, why is life sometimes so tragic? Like that example. Scripture says that God, and we know this, this is where we go with our foundation. We go with the foundational truth with, with, with what's in Scripture, and it's this. That God is in control. It's, it's stated over and over again in the word that God is in control. He is sovereign over the affairs of the universe and in our lives. And what we have to do and step back and think is, is what is it that God is trying to teach me in this situation? What's he trying to teach the nation? What's he trying to teach this group? What's he trying to teach us all when these things, these different storms happen? But the interesting thing is, is that he's not a God that's absent on leave. He hasn't checked out. He hasn't just said, you know what, I'm tired of it all, and I'm taking a sabbatical from the affairs of the earth, and I've, I've moved myself away from all of you, so just go at it. He's not that God. But it does paint, as the scriptures do, a picture of a God who can do and allow anything he chooses to do for his purposes, like he does the actual weather. Sometimes he acts, if you read the scriptures and you read the examples in the Old and New Testament, he acts in mercy, and he performs miracles for his people. And other times, he did nothing to stop the actual tragedy, as we would read it today, if it was on the internet or in the papers, and he allows it. I remember stories of the tornadoes. Some survived. Wonderfully. Miraculously. But some didn't. Some were God's people, some weren't. In Yosemite, last week, yeah, three folks who possibly were believers, but made it some choices that weren't wise, and got inside the, the river there up at Vernal Falls and went off the edge. Probably won't find their physical bodies until the end of the summer. But I have another friend who did that when he was about 18 years old. And it was a huge, stupid mistake, but he survived. But I have another friend 
who's friends of ours, whose son, who was 17 years old a few years ago, went up to Yosemite to climb. And he went off the trail and fell to his death. I remember going to their home in that night with my wife, and what do you say to the parents of a 17-year-old son who just lost their son in those circumstances? And I remember them saying, we will, not, uh, we will not question and ask God why. We will trust the Lord in his purposes for our son and for what occurred in this. And you know what? To this day, uh, they are maintaining that strong testimony, and they have not abandoned their faith, which is an awesome thing. They didn't see it coming when they said goodbye that morning to their son, Paul. But as Jesus says here, we're going to pass through something. And he determined the timetable of when this was going to occur. Now, you and I probably would like the timetable to never come where there will be a storm. Um, if we had our way, we'd probably say, okay, well, maybe, maybe like the last year of my life, uh, let's put this off, you know, as far as we can. And let's, if it's going to have to happen, if I am going to have to go through some, uh, some storms, then I'd like them short, and I'd like them just, you know, they can be even severe if you like, but just quick. You know, I don't want anything long and drawn out that's going on possibly for days and weeks and months. And in some cases, there are certain storms in life that are going on for years where there's heartache of one sort or another. But thankfully, God doesn't give us the uh, opportunity to say to him, what would you like, like at a restaurant where he's going to take our order of food? Because probably we would never go for what we really needed, but what was for most convenient for us, because we don't like it. He didn't tell the disciples, what do you think? And by the way, would you like smooth sailing? And that's what I'll provide. And just basically, I'm your heavenly bellboy who will offer up whatever you want. That's not the Jesus that the Bible portrays, although we sometimes want them that way. But we can just do the ring, ring, give me this, and do this. But that's not the Bible description of Jesus. Not only did he initiate the journey, but verses 36 and 37 says, his presence in the boat certainly didn't give them immunity from the storm. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with them. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. The Greek word for this word furious means megale, which is great. It's a, it's a great squall. It's a violent windstorm and it came up suddenly. The Sea of Galilee is 680 feet below sea level. It's 150 feet deep and it's 13 miles wide and it's known for sudden and fierce storms. It's situated in this basin, if you like, that's surrounded by mountains. And forgive me now if I sound like a meteorologist, but cool air from the Mediterranean is drawn through the narrow mountain passes. And it, what it does is it clashes with the hot, humid air that's over the lake, similar to what often happens in the Midwest, where you have the hot, humid air coming up from the Gulf, clashing with the colder air from Canada, and you get that belt that creates all that active weather, that God ultimately has designed that pattern. Certain areas of the world are prone to that. But all of these weather patterns are all operating under the sovereign will of God, as Colossians 1 talks about. Everything is upheld by the word of his power, so even these weather patterns are subject to him. He can change it. 
He could change it like that if he wanted to, and they would have to respond to him. They don't have control over him. Interestingly, you notice the text that says that there were other boats in the water. But, you know, it's interesting. Whoever was in those other boats, they weren't experiencing what the disciples were by having Jesus asleep in the stern. They weren't getting the same picture. I mean, they, they saw this sudden storm come up, but they don't have access to go to Jesus like the disciples did. So whatever happens and whatever they see, I don't even know if they all survived. Uh, it doesn't say. But they didn't experience the intimacy of watching God work like you, if you're a believer, you do. So when things are happening in your life and there's storms going on, I honestly don't know, and I have to think back on this, but it's so hard because I've been a believer for so long, I cannot imagine what it would be like to go through the storms of life without Christ, to not have him in the boat of my life. I mean, I can understand why folks who do not have him do what they do. Uh, it makes perfect sense if you do not know Christ to numb it. Drink yourself to death. Take as much medication if you like. Find some other thing that's going to be your fix, your crutch, to be able to cope with the things of life. But for those of us who have a Savior, we, we have, and I say this respectfully, the best crutch. We have God. And if somebody said, you know what, I'm coming into heaven on a stretcher, you know, if that's what it's going to be. I need him. I'm weak, and I see that. But we have a God who loves us and takes care of us and provides for us and gives us so much more than any narcotic or any other kind of substance could do. And when I hear stories, as I do all the time, and I won't be a Debbie Downer and tell you any more of those today at work, but when I hear so many stories of young people, and I'm talking even as young as 8 and 9 and 10 who are having to go to psych hospitals due to uh, their issues, or I'm listening to phone calls where there's just absolute um, either drug abuse or alcoholism or drinking at the ages of 11 and 12 and 13 or incorrigible families where there's just incredible fighting going on and just so much drama for young people. Uh, I can understand uh, that with all the pressures that are going on, apart from Jesus, it's a really tough place for our folks to live. We need to really pray for our kids and uh, watch over them because it's a war zone out there, um, especially for the, the young folks. Anyway, those sailors weren't going to be able to experience what the disciples were. They were gonna, the, the disciples were going to experience something that Christ initiated. And, you know, the comfort is, is that Jesus said, we're going to cross over to the other side. And that's the thing I want to encourage you about today is, is that whatever you're in, remember, with the Lord, you're getting over to the other side. I don't know how stormy it's going to be before you get to the other side. I don't know what we all are going to have to experience for, and for how long, but there is that hope that you're, he's not abandoning you in the middle of the water. You're not going down. because I was talking back in May where they, with the anchor. Jesus is the anchor. He, he's not going to let you go shipwreck in your walk with him. He's not going to just say, you know what, I'm getting out of here and, you know, get hoisted up in a helicopter and leave you. You know, he's there with us through it. But interestingly, and this is how we often respond, verse 38, when we're going through these things, of all things, what the disciples do is they rebuke the Lord Jesus. And they tell him, you know, in a sense, it says, don't you care if we drown? 
Remember, these were experienced fishermen. They thought they'd been through storms as part of a fisherman's life, but nothing like this. But the question is, is we're going to die. And I can only imagine, you know, if you just picture yourself on this. This isn't just like the boats going, you know, like this. You know, we were on a cruise back in May, and I never, I don't think I ever felt us moving, you know, in the sense of the movement on walking, maybe just once or twice. This is a violent storm where this boat is, is ready to capsize. And if they're not actually overboard getting seasick probably from it, which probably in this case they might have been because it was that bad, they're all at, in the gospel accounts, they're all going to Jesus and they're not taking their turns saying one at a time, Jesus, don't you care? We're going to drown. You know, why are you sleeping? I think they're all shouting at him at once in an absolute panic, rebuking him. And yet we know from Scripture that God is never missing during those times. His sense of being asleep was almost like, you know what, you're detached from what's happening. And, and that sleeping is almost like, aren't you concerned about it? Here we are. We're about ready to die. You're sound asleep. It seems like in a sense when you're, out, when you're asleep, most of the time for us, it's like you're, we're sort of checked out at that point. We're not really aware of what's going on when we're asleep for those who are awake. And the inference is, is, don't you care? And yet Hebrews tells us that he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Reminds me of the story where the couple of the boys were in trouble. And uh, they were both brothers and their parents were just out their wits end as to how to take care of them any longer. And so they called the local pastor of the small town to come and speak to him. And so he thought that maybe the best way is to try and bring the fear of God to him. Maybe you've heard this before where got the first boy into the, out of the bedroom, into the living room, he came over to the house, and he said, where is God? And the little boy is, I think he's eight or so, is just not responding to that, and he tries to reemphasize the point again and slams his hand down on the table, where is God? And again, the little boy's just kind of looking at him with no real reaction, getting a little bit scared, and he says it again one more time louder. Where is God? And he slams his hand down louder, and at this point, the boy bolts up out of the table, and he runs into the bedroom with the other boys, and his brother says, what's wrong, what's wrong? And he goes, God's missing, and he thinks that we had something to do with it. <laughs> He's not missing. Job, though, had this struggle. He... I'm just keeping it real, it's in the scriptures. Job said, where are you? But if I go to the east, he's not there. And if I go to the west, I do not find him. When he is at work in the north, I do not see him. And when he turns to the south, I catch no glimpse of him. And he was going through his storms. That was his experience in Job 23. Well, the Lord Jesus does something in this storm, which is obviously absolutely amazing because it just wasn't a case that the storm subsided over the course of several hours and finally the waves and the wind were back to normal 24 hours later. No, it says in verse 39, he got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. And then the wind died down and it was completely calm. Somebody has said everybody talks about the weather but nobody can do anything about it. And that's true except the Lord. He actually did something. He did something, and he did something fascinating because you go try the next time you're in a serious storm and try uttering those words and see what happens. 
and yet he's God and he could do it. And lastly, as in concluding, really, what's, what's kind of the big thing here of what's going on as we chew on this and meditate? But I suggest from the passage that God wants to change our thinking or at least remind us again about himself and, and storms. Maybe we are forgetful in this area and we need to just be reminded, or maybe it's something new today. Because Jesus asked a very thought-provoking question in verse 40. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Interesting, when you read that, the storm is over. You would think that the disciples should be breathing a huge sigh of relief. It's all over. But they're not. He says, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And it says in verse 41, they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. You can see in here a mixture that does not mix well as faith and fear. They don't go together. And God wants us to trust him at his word. Hebrews 11.6 just brings out from that Hall of Faith chapter that God is so impressed. And if you want to, and I've said this before, but if you want to bring pleasure to the face of God and you really want to see him pleased, the scriptures tell us how to do that. One way is to have faith and trust in him. So when you're in that storm and it's all going on and you don't know what end is up, as we're trusting him, he's saying, you know, my child so-and-so by your names is, is trusting me. Even though they don't understand, maybe he's talking to the triune, uh, the Godhead. Maybe they're having a conversation among themselves. But he's saying, even though that person doesn't, that brother, that sister, the name, doesn't understand what's going on. They're, they're trusting us. They're trusting me. What an amazing thing to have that kind of, to be the center of the conversation among the Godhead because of the way we're responding in our, in our faith. When the disciples in verse 41 said, who is this? You know, they had seen some amazing miracles up to this point. But they hadn't seen anything like this. Sure, they saw healing, which is huge enough. Forgiveness for sins. But now they're saying, you know, just when we thought we had Jesus all figured out, we know what he can do. He's doing something else. And the reality of that is, it's terrifying us. Maybe we like, and I pose this as a thought for you to consider, maybe we like a gentle, meek, mild Jesus. You know, a, a God who's safe. A God who works within how we want him to work. Kind of like even though we're saying, you know what, you're in control. The reality is we really want to be in control. And it troubles us when he works in our lives and moves outside of what we like our box to be like. Interesting, the scriptures also refer to not only Jesus as a lamb of God, which is that very mild picture, but he's also the fierce lion of Judah. And maybe that's a portrayal of Jesus that troubles us a little bit, that he's a, a lion of Judah. Maybe we want a safe God, a, a manageable deity. 
truth be told, one that we can manipulate in our own thinking. Some people are masters at it, but just very subtle at it of a manipulation. But that's not God worship. Interesting thing is, is that as we trust in God, we're kept safe in him, and he provides for us. Amen. Interesting is in closing in Job chapter 42, verse 5. Remember initially where I was saying that um, Job said, you know what, I, I can't find you. You know, it seems like you're, you're absent. You appear to be hiding. And yet you go to Job chapter 42 and you think about this whole deal that Job was going th through. He said, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. And I think the comfort for us is, may God reveal himself to us, reveal his purposes to us as we're just waiting on him for whether we're in the storm or when the one is about to occur. There's a story of a shipwrecked sailor who was obviously in a terrible storm. He got uh, thrown out of the boat and he had to get to a, a rock. And he had to stay on this large rock until the tide went down and it was safe for him to exit. And when he got onto shore, one of the other sailors or passengers that had been on that boat said, didn't you shake with fear when you were hanging onto the rock? And the sailor smiled and said, yes, but the rock didn't. And that's our comfort and encouragement today. Let's pray. Lord, as we just conclude on this series of the storms of, of life and how you are that anchor and how you're that one that uh, initiates these events in our lives, we, we pray just as we continue to get our roots deeper and deeper into you that we will acknowledge that you are the one who is allowing these events in our lives, you're allowing these storms to teach us to trust, to teach us to wait on you and just to love you uh, even more. And Lord, we know that in your wisdom, we have often said to one another that we are stronger. Uh, we have grown in our relationship with you and our knowledge of your word as a result of the stuff you allow that we wouldn't particularly ask for. We just pray that we'll just have this quiet sense of trust in you as a child, and we will not worry that, Lord, we will today remember that if we are anxious, that we can cast our, all our anxiety upon you. And even if the waves are still actually really howling and blowing, that we will experience a calm in our spirit this day and this coming week that will just be profoundly amazing to others around us who will be very curious to know how it is we cope and why are we like we are even going through these times? We pray you bless the rest of the day, the baptisms to follow, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.